This is I Don't Know What to Read You, and I'm Kat. I'm Michelle. And we're going to read you things. I guess. I guess we're (laughs) rebranding. Hey, we're back. (laughs) It's been a while. Um, Sorry about that. It wasn't for lack of trying. We recorded two episodes prior to this one. Um, one we just didn't think that was that good. It was um, a bunch of things from 1919 right. that were turning 100 this year. Um, and it, it, good concept, but we couldn't quite make it work. And then after that, there was an episode that we actually posted, which was up for a couple hours, which was us reading Boswell's journals, which I think was a pretty good episode overall, but it had some upsetting stuff in it that we yeah. weren't really on board with. Yeah. And we decided that we didn't want that to be our brand. So we're sort of thought, okay, but we liked reading to each other. So what can we read to each other that'll be fun and enjoyable and won't have any awful things in it? Um, And so we've actually come up with the book um, The Young Visitors, which um, incidentally, also from 1919, I didn't know that until I looked it up just now. So it turns 100 this year. Okay. And um, it was a bestseller when it came out. It was written by a nine-year-old girl named Daisy Ashford. Okay. And it is written exactly how you would expect a nine-year-old girl to write (laughs) Basically, like a like a classy romance. <laughs> okay. And um, it like sold out its run several times the first year, and uh, the rumors were that it was actually J. M. Barry who wrote it, the author of Peter Pan. Okay. And that it was just sort of this idea, like this this spin that they had put on it. Right. But um, I don't think so. Like I read J. M. Barry, like he the way he writes is not as flowy and beautiful as this like this is clearly a nine-year-old girl with a very particular talent anyway we did a trial run reading a little bit of this to each other and i think um this is a bit experimental i'm not saying we're gonna read stuff every episode but i think it's gonna be fun yeah um do you want to start uh sure all right a brief shout out to teresa who i know doesn't listen to podcasts but she gave me her copy of the young visitors when she was moving away from montreal oh so this is her copy and it's a really nice copy actually it has a little portrait of Daisy Ashford at nine years old in the front. <laughs> <laughs> She's super cute. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> All right. So let's skip past the preface. No one cares about the preface. Here we go. Chapter one. Okay. Chapter one. Quite a young girl. Mr. Saltina was an elderly man of 42 and was fond of asking people to stay with him. He had quite a young girl staying with him of 17 named Ethel Montague. Mr. Saltina had dark, short hair and moustache and whiskers, which were very black and twisty. (laughs) He was middle-sized, and he had very pale blue eyes. He had a pale brown suit, but on Sundays he had a black one, and he had a topper every day as he thought it more becoming. (laughs) Oh, this is going to be a little complicated. (laughs) (laughs) Ethel Montague had fair hair done on the top and blue eyes. She had a blue velvet frock, which had grown rather short in the sleeves. She had a black straw hat and kid gloves. One morning, Mr. Saltina came down to breakfast and found Ethel had come down first, which was strange. Is the tea made, Ethel, he said, rubbing his hands. Yes, said Ethel, and such a queer-shaped parcel has come for you. Yes, indeed, it was... A queer-shaped parcel. (laughs) It was a hat box tied down very tight and a letter stuffed between the string. Well, well, said Mr. Saltina, parcels do turn queer. I will read the letter first. And so saying, he tore open the letter, and this is what it said. Now, one of the hard things 
for those of you who aren't following along at home, <laughs> uh, is that there are no quotation marks. There's, there's very little punctuation in this, and, so and you no, really like, got to yeah, work at exactly, it. Exactly, no punctuation. So <laughs> I sometimes have trouble knowing where any intonation is supposed to go. But we're back to the letter now. My dear Alfred, so we know it's Alfred Saltina, mm-hmm. I want you to come for a stop with me, so I have sent you a top hat wrapped up in tissue paper inside the box. <laughs> Will you wear it, staying with me, because it is very uncommon. (laughs) Please bring one of your young ladies, whichever is the prettiest in the face. (laughs) I remain yours truly, Bernard Clark. Well, said Mr. Saltina, I shall take you to stay, Ethel, and fancy him sending me a top hat. Then Mr. S. opened the box, and there lay the most splendid top hat, of a lovely, rich tone, rather like grapes, with a ribbon round complete. Well, said Mr. Saltina peevishly, I don't know if I shall like it in the bow of the ribbon is too flighty for my age. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Then he sat down and ate the egg with Ethel had so kindly laid for him. After he had finished his meal, he got down and began to write to Bernard Clark. He ran upstairs on his fat legs and took out his blotter with a loud sniff, and this is what he wrote. My dear Bernard, certainly I shall come to stay. With you next Monday, I will bring Ethel Montague, commonly called Mrs. M. She is very attractive and pretty. I do hope I shall enjoy myself with you. I am fond of digging in the garden, and I am partial to ladies if they are nice. I suppose it is my nature. Sounds like a dog. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) I am not quite a gentleman, but you would hardly notice it. But it can't be helped anyhow. We will come by 3.15. Your old and valued friend, Alfred Saltina. Perhaps my readers will be wondering why Bernard Clark had asked Mr. Saltina to stay with him. He was a lonely man in a remote spot, and he liked people and parties, but he did not know many. What rot muttered Bernard Clark as he read Mr. Saltina's letter? He was rather a presumptuous man? (laughs) Presumptuous? Is this... Is I think she's trying for presumptuous, presumptuous but okay. she put presumptuous. 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 <laughs> so they're not correcting any spe- spelling errors either. Presumptuous. All right. Well, that's... Is that chapter one? That's chapter one. All right. Chapter two is all yours. Cool. Chapter two. Starting gaily. That's always a good start. <laughs> I thought it already had. <laughs> <laughs> when the great morning came, Mr. Saltina did not have an egg for his breakfast in case he should be sick on the journey. Okay. You know, I have a problem. I have trouble with eggs in travel as well. I can't have eggs and then get in a car. Well, hold on. How would they have been traveling here? This would have been probably a carriage, I'm guessing, or oh. maybe a train. There's a picture of a train on the in the illustration. Ah, okay. But yeah. What top hat will you wear? Asked Ethel. Oh. <laughs> Better wear the gift. <laughs> I shall wear my best black and my white alpaca coat to keep off the dust and flies. Replied Mr. Saltina. I shall put some red rouge on my face, said Ethel. Which is fancy. <laughs> because I am very pale owing to the drains in this house. <laughs> you will look very silly, said Mr. Saltina with a dry laugh. <laughs> <laughs> now, quick question. The, the nature of their relationship has not been... Uh, no, I really... think they just kind of... I think she's either like staying with him or she's like a ward. Okay. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> okay. Well, so will you, said Ethel in a snappy tone, and she ran out of the room with a very superior run, throwing out her legs behind and her arms swinging in rhythm. 
All right. Well said the owner of the house. She has a most idiotic run. (laughs) (laughs) Presently, Ethel came back in her best hat and a lovely velvet coat of royal blue. Do I look nice in my getup, she asked. Mr. Saltina surveyed her. You look rather rash, my dear. Your colors don't quite match your face, but never mind. I am just going off to say goodbye to Rosalind, the housemaid. Well, don't be long, said Ethel. Mr. S. skipped upstairs to Rosalind's room. Goodbye, Rosalind, he said. I shall be back soon, and I hope I shall enjoy myself. (laughs) I make no doubt of that, sir, said Rosalind, (laughs) with a blush, as Mr. Saltina silently put two six. I don't... That's some kind of obscure (laughs) British currency. Two slash six on the dirty toilet cover. (laughs) My goodness. All right. (laughs) Um... I have no idea what that is. Two pounds, six? Maybe. I have no idea. Um, Take care of your bronchitis, said Mr. (laughs) S, rather bashfully, and he hastily left. Ain't nobody got time for that. (laughs) And he hastily left the room, waving his hand carelessly to the housemaid. Come along, cried Ethel, powdering her nose in the hall. Let us get into the cab. Mr. This almost sounds like... Like an alien's version of Downton Abbey. It does. It's like a computer wrote Downton Abbey. <laughs> it's something like a, like an AI. <laughs> um, powdering her nose in the hall, let us get into the cab. Mr. Saltina did not care for powder, but he was an unselfish man, so he dashed into the cab. Sit down, said Ethel, as the cabman waved his whip. You are standing on my luggage. Well, I am paying for the cab, said Mr. S, so I might be allowed to put my feet where I like. They traveled second class in the train, and Ethel was longing to go first, but thought perhaps least said soonest mended. Mr. Saltina got very excited in the train about his visit. Ethel was calm, but she felt excited inside. (laughs) Bernard has a big house, said Mr. S, gazing at Ethel. He is inclined to be rich. Oh, indeed, said Ethel, looking at some cows flashing past the window. Mr. S felt rather disheartened. So he read the paper till the train stopped and the porter shouted, Rickamere Station. We had better collect our traps, said Mr. Saltina. And just then a very exalted footman in a cocked hat and olive green uniform put his head in at the window. Are you for Rickamere Hall, he said in impressive tones. I'm sorry, I guess I, did, I didn't read that right. <laughs> Are you for Rickamere Hall, he said in impressive tones. Well, yes, I am, said Mr. Saltina, and so is this lady. Very good, sir, said the noble footman. If you will alight, I will see to your luggage there is a conveyance awaiting you. Oh, thank you, thank you, said Mr. S, and he and Ethel stepped along the platform. Outside, they found a lovely carriage lined with olive green cushions to match the footman, and the horses had green bridles and bows on their manes and tails. They got gingerly in. Will he bring our luggage? asked Ethel nervously. I expect so, said Mr. Saltina, lighting a very long cigar. Do we tip him? asked Ethel quietly. Well, no, I don't think so. Not yet. We had better just thank him politely. Just then the footman staggered out with the baggage. Ethel bowed gracefully over the door of the carriage, and Mr. S. waved his hand as each bit of luggage was hoisted up to make sure it was all there. Then he said, thank you, my good fellow, very politely. Not at all, sir, said the footman, and touching his cocked hat, he jumped actively to the box. This is like a play-by-play of the whole situation right. with the footman. There's a lot of movement. This is like the like very specific about the footman. Yeah. I was right not to tip him, whispered Mr. Saltina. <laughs> the right thing to do is to leave two slash six on your dressing table when your stay is over. Does he find it? 
asked Ethel, who did not really know at all how to go on at a visit. I believe so, replied Mr. Saltina. Anyhow, it is quite the custom, and we can't help it if he does not. Now, my dear, what do you think of the scenery? <laughs> Very nice, said Ethel, gazing at the rich fur rug on her knees. Just then, the carriage rolled into a beautiful drive with tall trees and big red flowers growing amid shiny dark leaves. Presently, the haughty coachman pulled up with a great clatter at a huge front door with tall pillars each side a big iron bell, and two very clean scrapers. <laughs> I don't know what those are. <laughs> the door flung open as if by magic. Magic is spelt with a J, which I think is very bold. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, causing Ethel to jump, and a portly butler appeared on the scene with a very shiny shirt front and a huge pale face. He's probably like my grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, sir, he exclaimed good-naturedly as Mr. Saltina alighted rather quickly from the vehicle and pleased to step inside. Mr. Saltina stepped in as bid followed by Ethel. Ethel. I don't know which... Is it Ethel or Ethel? Ethel, I would say. Okay. Uh, the footman again struggled with the luggage and the butler, Francis Minute by name, kindly lent a hand. The hall was very big and hung round with guns and mats and ancestors, giving it a gloomy but a grand air. <laughs> the butler then showed them down a winding corridor till he came to a door which he flung open, shouting, Mr. Saltina, and a lady, sir. A tall man of 29 rose from the sofa. He was rather bent in the middle, with very nice long legs, fairish hair, and blue eyes. Hello, Alf, old boy, he cried, so you have got here all safe and no limbs broken. <laughs> None, thank you, Bernard replied. Mr. Saltina shaking hands, and let me introduce Miss Montague. She is very pleased to come for this visit. Oh, yes, gasped Ethel, blushing through her red rouge. Bernard looked at her keenly and turned a dark red. I am glad to see you, he said. I hope you will enjoy it, but I have not arranged any parties yet, as I don't know anybody. Don't worry, murmured Ethel. I don't mix much in society. And she gave him a dainty smile. <laughs> I expect you would like some tea, said Bernard. I will ring. Yes, indeed, we should, said Mr. Saltina eagerly. Bernard peeled on the bell, and the butler came in with a stately walk. Tea, please, Minute, cried Bernard Clark. With pleasure, sir, replied Minute with a deep bow. A glorious tea then came in on a gold tray, two kinds of bread and butter, a lovely jam roll, and lots of sugar cakes. Ethel's eyes began to sparkle, and she made several remarks during the meal. I expect you would now like to unpack, said Bernard when it was over. Well, yes, that is rather an idea, said Mr. Sultina. I have given the best spare room to Miss Montague, said Bernard, with a gallant bow, and yours turning to Mr. Saltina opens out of it, so you will be nice and friendly. Both the rooms have big windows and a handsome view. <laughs> I'm having trouble with this lack of punctuation. Yeah, it's very disconcerting. <laughs> How char charming, said Ethel. Yes, well, let us go up, replied Bernard, and he led the way up many a winding stairway till they came to an oak door with some lovely swans and bulrushes painted on it. Here we are, he cried gaily. Ethel's room was indeed a handsome compartment with purple silk cushions, curtains, and a four-post bed draped with the same shade. The toilet set was white and mauve, and there were some violets in a costly verse. Oh, I say, cried Ethel in surprise. I am glad you like it, said Bernard, and here we have yours, Alf. He opened the dividing doors and portrayed a smaller but dainty room. See, how, why, how is it okay? Like, the rooms are, like, adjoining, like... I, I don't know. Are they like related I, or like? How are these two friends? <laughs> they got to be related, or like it's got to be like kind of like an adoption scenario, because otherwise that would be like even Saltina and Clark. Like 
Clark seems much, much younger and way hipper. That's true. <laughs> Why are they friends? <laughs> um, he opened the dividing doors and portrayed a smaller but dainty room, all in pale yellow and wild primroses. My own room is next to the bathroom, said Bernard. It is decorated dark red, as I have somber tastes. <laughs> the bathroom has got a tip-up basin and a hose thing for washing your head. <laughs> A hose thing. A hose thing for washing okay. your head. A good notion, said Mr. Saltina, who was secretly getting jealous. <laughs> Here we leave our friends to unpack and end this chapter. Oh, goodness gracious. That was a lot. That was a lot. So much happened. Now, chapter three, the first evening. When they had unpacked, Mr. Saltina and Ethel went downstairs to dinner. Mr. Saltina had put on a complete evening suit as he thought it was the correct idea and some ruby studs he had got at a sale. Ethel had a dress of yellow silk covered with tulle, which was quite in the fashion, and she had on a necklace which Mr. Saltina gave her for a birthday present. So a lot of this spelling, is this because it's a nine-year-old or is it because this was just... No, it's because it's a nine-year-old. Okay, this so... This was 1919. There wasn't really that much ambiguity in spelling. Okay, because a lot of things like idea... I think like... that was just her accent. Okay. Like, when you think of how, like, a young British kid right, speaks. Right, 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 It's almost like, um... I don't know if, if any of our listeners have ever seen Clone High, but, uh... JFK? Yeah, it's a little Clone bit High. like that. <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> have an idea. <laughs> so, um, Yeah. She looked very becoming and pretty, and Bernard heaved a sigh as he gave her his arm to go into dinner. The butler, Minute, was quite ready for the fray, standing up very stiff and surrounded by two footmen in green plush and curly white wigs, who were called, who were called Charles and Horace. Now that one was just me. <laughs> <laughs> well, said Mr. Saltina, lapping up his turtle soup, you have a very sumptuous house, Bernard. His friend gave a wary smile and swallowed a few drops of sherry wine. It is fairly decent, he replied, with a bashful glance at Ethel. After our repast, I will show you over the premises. Many thanks, said Mr. Saltina, getting rather flustered with his forks. Multiple forks. <laughs> <laughs> He's eating with two forks. I think it's the situation where you have like... Three knives and three forks so, and yeah. three spoons. And he's like, doesn't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you art to give a ball, remarked Ethel, who have, you have such large compartments. Yes, there is room enough, sighed Bernard. We might try a few steps and meanwhile I might get to know a few people. So you might, responded Ethel, giving him a speaking look. Mr. Saltina was growing a little peevish, but he cheered up when the port wine came and the table and the butler. Nice slow turn of a thick yellow page. <laughs> put around some costly finger bowls. He did not have any in his own house, and he followed Bernard Clark's advice as to what to do with them. After dinner, Ethel played some merry tunes on the piano. And Bernard responded with a rather long song, loud song, in a bass voice, and Ethel clapped him a good deal. Then Mr. Saltina asked a few riddles, as he was not musical. Spelt M-U-S-I-C-L-E. <laughs> then Bernard said, shall I show you over my domain? And they strolled into the gloomy hall. I see you have a lot of ancestors, said Mr. <laughs> Saltina in a jealous tone. <laughs> <laughs> who are they well said bernard they are all quite correct 
<laughs> this is my aunt Caroline, and she was rather eccentric and quite old. So I see, said Mr. Saltina, as he passed on to a lady with a very tight waist and queerly shaped. That is Mary Ann Fudge, my grandmother, I think, said Bernard. <laughs> she was very well known in her day. Why, asked Ethel, who was rather curious by nature. Well, I don't quite know, Sir Bernard, but she was, and he moved away to the next picture. It was of a man with a fat, smiley face and a red ribbon around him and a lot of medals. My great-uncle Ambrose Fudge, said Bernard carelessly. He looked a thorough ancestor, said <laughs> Ethel kindly. Well, he was, said Bernard in a proud tone. He was really the sinister son of Queen Victoria. Not really, cried Ethel in excited tones. But what does that mean? Well, I don't quite know, said Bernard Clark. It puzzles me very much, but ancestors do turn queer at times. <laughs> Perhaps it means godson, said Mr. Saltina in an intelligent voice. Well, I don't think so, said Bernard, but I mean to find out. It is very grand anyhow, said Ethel. It is, that replied her host genuinely. Who is this, said Mr. Saltina, halting at a picture of a lady, holding up some grapes and smiling a good deal. Her name was Minnie Pilato, responded Bernard. She was rather far back, but a real relation, and she was engaged to the Earl of Tullyvarden, <laughs> only it did not quite come off. What a pity, cried Ethel. Yes, it was rather, replied Bernard, but she married a captain in the navy and had seven children, so she was quite all right. Here, Mr. Saltina, third, he had better go to bed as he had a long, had had a long journey. Bernard always had a few prayers in the hall, and some whiskey afterwards, as he was rather pious, but Mr. Saltina was not very addicted to prayers, so he marched up to bed. Ethel stayed, as she thought it would be a good thing. The butler came in, as he was a very holy man, and Bernard piously said that the Our Father, and a very good hymn called I Will Keep My Anger Down, and a Decade of the Rosary. Ethel chimed in quietly, and Francis Minnett was most devout, and Ethel thought what a good holy family she was stopping with. So I will end my chapter. <laughs> Exceptional. <laughs> oh, there's a really good illustration at yeah, the end of yeah, that chapter. It's is. like three of the ancestors looking like really weird and kind of like Edward Gorey-ish, and then a quote, ancestors do turn queer at times. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's because I can only think about tattoos right now, but I feel like that would make a great tattoo. <laughs> yeah, it would, actually. <laughs> All right. Chapter four. Mr. Saltina's plan. Mr. Saltina woke up rather early next day and was surprised and delighted to find Horace the footman entering with a cup of tea. Oh, thank you, my man, said Mr. Saltina, rolling over in the costly bed. <laughs> Mr. Clark is nearly out of the bath, sir, announced Horace. I will have great pleasure in turning it on for you, if such is your desire. <laughs> well, yes, you might, said Mr. Saltina, seeing it was the idea, and Horace gave a profound bow. Ethel, are you getting up? shouted Mr. Saltina. Very nearly, replied Ethel faintly from the next room. I say, said Mr. Saltina excitedly, I have had some tea in bed. <laughs> so have <laughs> I, replied Ethel. <laughs> Then Mr. Saltina got into a move dressing gown with yellow tassels, and seizing his soap, he wandered off to the bathroom, which was most sumptuous. It had a lovely white shiny bath and sparkling taps, and several towels arrayed in readiness by a thoughtful Horace. <laughs> this whole book's brought to you by the letter R. 
<laughs> it also had a step for climbing up the bath and other good dodges of a rich nature. Mr. Saltina washed himself well and felt very much better. After breakfast, Mr. Saltina asked Bernard if he could have some private conversation with him. Well, yes, replied Bernard. If you will come into my study, we can have a few words. Can't I come too, muttered Ethel sulkily. No, my dear, said Mr. Saltina. This is private. Perhaps later I might have a private chat with you, Miss Montague, said Bernard kindly. Oh, do let's, said Ethel. <laughs> then Bernard and Mr. S. strolled to the study and sat down upon two armchairs. Fire away, said Bernard, lighting his pipe. Well, I can't exactly do that, said Mr. Saltina in slow tones. It is a serious matter, and you can advise me as you are a thorough gentleman, I am sure. Well, yes, said Bernard. What can I do for you, eh, Alf? You can help me perhaps to be more like a gentleman, said Mr. Saltina, getting rather hot. I am quite all right, as they say, but I would like to be the real thing. Can it be done? He added, slapping his knees. <laughs> his fat knees, from what we've learned. <laughs> I don't quite know, said Bernard. It might take a good time. Might it, said Mr. S., but I would slave for years if need be. Bernard scratched his head. Why don't you try the Crystal Palace, he said. Several people, earls, and even dukes have private compartments there. I'm not sure what's meant by the Crystal Palace. Yeah, that's... I, that, I know that was like a World's Fair thing, but that wasn't... Anyway. Uh, how is it going to turn him into a gentleman? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I am not an earl, said Mr. Saltina in a perplexed tone. True, replied Bernard, but I understand there are sort of students there who want to get into the war office and notable banks. Would that be a help? asked Mr. Saltina eagerly. Well, it might, said Bernard. I could give you a letter to my old pal, the Earl of Clincham, who lives there. He might rub you up, and by mixing with him, you would probably grow more seemly. Hey, ancestors do turn queer sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ten thousand thanks, said Mr. Saltina. I will go there as soon as it can be arranged, if you would be so kind as to keep an eye on Ethel while I am away. <laughs> I love how he's just like, Ethel's chill. It's cool. No, no worries. Meanwhile, he's just like, I'm coming for a visit, but you know what? I really want to be a gentleman. So. I'm just going to peace out. <laughs> oh, yes, said Bernard. I may be running up to town for a few days, and she could come too. You are too kind, said Mr. Saltina, and I don't think you will find her any trouble. No, I don't think I shall, said Bernard. She is a pretty girl, cheerful and active, and he blushed rather red. That's the whole chapter. <laughs> Well, progress. <laughs> the Crystal Palace. About nine o'clock next morning, Mr. Saltina stood bag in hand in the ancest ancestral hall. That's what it says there. Waiting for the vehicle to convey him to the station. <laughs> Bernard Clark and Ethel were seated side by side on a costly sofa, gazing abstractly at the parting guest. Horace had dashed off to put on his cocked hat as he was going in the barouche well, I don't know what that is but Francis Minnett was roaming about the hall well prepared for any deed well said Bernard puffing at his meerschaum pipe I hope you will get on Alf I am sure you have that little letter to old Clincham eh wow <laughs> this is uh, this is almost like uh, tongue twisters it is like they're not it really is. they're not repetitive or rhyming but just try reading it without stumbling and it's very difficult indeed i have said mr saltina many thanks for the same and i do hope ethel will behave properly oh yes i expect she will said bernard with a sigh 
it's, it's, it's so like, all right, let me read that again. <laughs> oh, yes, I expect she will, said Bernard with a sigh. <laughs> I always do, said Ethel in a snappy tone. Just then, there was a great clatter outside and the sound of hoofs and a loud, nay. The barouche, I take it, said Bernard, rising slowly. Quite correct, sir, said Minnick, flinging wide the portals. Well, goodbye, Alf, old man, said Bernard Clark. Good luck and God bless you, he added in a pious tone. <laughs> Not at all, said Mr. Saltina. I have enjoyed my stop, which has been short and sweet. Well, goodbye, Ethel, my child, he said, <laughs> as, a bag in, as bag in hand, he proceeded to the door. Francis Minnett bowed low and handed a small parcel to Mr. Saltina. A few sandways for the journey, he remarked. I'm going to assume that's a, that means sandwiches. Yes. Okay. <laughs> oh, this is most kind, said Mr. Saltina. Minnett closed his eyes with a tired smile. Not kind, sir, he muttered. Quite usual. <laughs> oh, said Mr. Saltina, feeling rather flabbergasted. Well, goodbye, my old fellow. And he slipped two-sixths into the butler's open palm. Mr. Saltina had to travel first class as active horse ran on to buy the tickets, which he presented with a low bow, the times, and titbits. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's that's highlighted, so I'm guessing it's like the, the journal, but... Okay. Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, many thanks, my man, said Mr. Saltina, in a most airy voice. Now will you find me a corner seat in the train, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just reading what it says. I'm not <laughs> exaggerating. This is hitting like, kind of like a Tommy Wiseau kind of groove. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> oh, wait, uh, you know what... I'm looking forward to the screenplay. <laughs> if there is one, sir, replied Horace, in got Mr. Saltina to his first-class carriage surrounded by his buggage, carefully <laughs> piled up by kindly Horace. No, no joke. It's buggage. Buggage? It's buggage. Buggage. Okay. It's buggage. Uh, carefully piled up by kindly Horace. The other passengers looked full of envy at the curly white wig and the green plush uniform of Horace. Mr. Saltina crossed his legs in a lordly way and flung a fur rug over his knees, though he was hot enough in all conscience. He began to feel this was the thin end of the partition, and he smiled as he gently tapped the letter in his coat-tail pocket. When Mr. Saltina arrived in London, he began to stroll up the principal streets, thinking how gay all was. Presently, he beheld a restaurant with a big menu outside, and he went boldly in. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> it was a sumptuous spot, all done up in gold with plenty of looking glasses. All right. <laughs> Many handsome ladies and gentlemen were all partaking of choice food and rich wines and whiskey, and the scene was most lively. Mr. Saltina had a little whiskey to make him feel more at home. Then he ate some curry to the tune of a merry valse on the band. He beat time to the music and smiled kindly at the waiters, and he felt very excited inside. I am seeing life with a vengeance, he muttered to himself as he paid his bill at the desk. Outside, Mr. Saltina found a tall policeman. Could you direct me to the Crystal Palace, if you please, said Mr. Saltina nervously. Well, said the genuine policeman, Okay. My <laughs> advice would be to take a cab, sir. Oh, would it, said Mr. Saltina. Then I will do so. He hailed a hansom and got speedily into the Crystal Palace. He cried gaily, and holding his bag on his knees, he prepared to enjoy the sights of the metropolis. It was a merry drive, and all too soon the palace heaved in view. 
Mr. Saltinus sprang out and paid the man, and then he entered the wondrous edifice. His heart beat very fast as two huge men in gold braid flung open the doors. Inside was a lovely fountain in the middle, and all around were little stalls where you could buy sweets and lemonade, also scent handkerchiefs, and many dainty articles. There were a lot of people, but nobody very notable. At last, after buying two bottles of scent and some rather nice sweets, which stuck to his teeth, Mr. Saltina beheld a wooden door on which was nailed a notice saying, to the private compartments. Aha, said Mr. Saltina to himself, this is evidently my next move. And he gently pushed open the door, straightening his top hat as he did so. Inside, he found himself in a dimly lit passage with a thick and handsome carpet. Mr. Saltina gazed round and beheld in the gloom a very superior gentleman in full evening dress, who was reading a newspaper and warming his hands on the hot water pipes. All at once, apparently. <laughs> he had four hands, two of which were holding the newspaper. <laughs> Mr. Saltina advanced on tiptoe and coughed gently, as, to, as so far the gentleman had paid no attention. However, at the second cough, he raised his eyes in a wary fashion. Do you want anything? he asked in a most noble voice. Mr. Saltina got very flustered. Well, I am seeking the Earl of Clincham, he began in a trembly voice. Are you by any chance him? he added most respectfully. No, not exactly, replied the other. My name happens to be Edward Procurio. I am half Italian, <laughs> and I am the groom of the chambers. What chambers? asked Mr. Saltina, blinking his eyes. These, said Edward Procurio, <laughs> waving a thin arm. <laughs> Mr. Saltina then noticed several red doors with names of people on each one. Oh, I see, he said. Then perhaps you can tell me where the Earl of Clincham is to be found. At the end of the passage, fourth door down, said Procurio tritely. Of course, he may be out. One never knows what they are up to. I suppose not, said Mr. Saltina in an interested tone. One cannot gamble on anything, really, said Procurio. Returning to the hot water pipes, though, of course, I know a lot more than most people about the inmates here. What are the habits of the Earl of Clinton? said Mr. Saltina. Procurio gave a smile, many and various. Okay. <laughs> he replied, I can't say much in my position, but one lives and learns. He heaved a sigh and shrugged his shoulders. Well, good day, said Mr. Saltina, feeling better for the chat. <laughs> Procurio nodded in silence as Mr. Saltina trotted off down the passage. At last he came to a door labeled Clincham Earl of in big letters. With a beating heart, Mr. Saltina pulled the bell and the door swung open of its own accord. At the same moment, a cheery voice rang out from the distance. Come in, please. I am in the study. First door on left. With a nervous bound, Mr. Saltina obeyed these directions and found himself in a small but handsome compartment, done in dark green leather with crests on the chairs. Over the mantelpiece was hung the painting of a lady in a low neck looking quite the thing. But the desk was seated, by the desk was seated a tall man of thirty-five, with very nice eyes of a twinkly nature and curly hair. He wore a quite plain suit of palest grey, but well made, and on the table reposed a grey top hat, which had evidently been on his head recently. He had a rose in his buttonhole, also a signet ring. Hello, said the pleasant fellow, as Mr. Saltina was spellbound on mat. 
Hello, your lordship, responded our hero, bowing low and dropping his hat. Do I address the Earl of Clincham? You do, said the Earl, with a homely smile. And who do I address, eh? Our hero bowed again. Alfred Saltina, he said in deep tones. Oh, I see, said the kindly Earl. Well, come in, my man, and tell me who you are. Mr. Saltina seated himself gingerly on the edge of a crested chair. To tell you the truth, my lord, I am not anyone of import, and I am not a gentleman, as they say. He ended getting very red and hot. Have some whiskey, said Lord Clincham, <laughs> and he poured the liquid in a glass at his elbow. Mr. Saltino lapped it up, thankfully. Well, my man, said the good-natured Earl, what I say is, what does it matter? We can't all be of the blood royal, can we? No, said Mr. Saltino, but I suppose you are. Mr. Clincham waved a careless hand. A small portion flows in my veins, he said, but it does not worry me at all, and after all, he adds piously, at the day of judgment, what will be at odds? Mr. Saltina heaved a sigh. I was thinking of this world, he said. Oh, I see, said the Earl, but my own idea is that these things are as piffle before the wind. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, they are as piffle. (laughs) Not being an Earl, I can't say, answered our hero, but may I beg you to read this letter, my lord? He produced Bernard's note from his uh, coattails. The Earl of Clincham took it in his long fingers. This is what he read. My dear Clincham, the bearer of this letter is an old friend of mine, not quite the right side of the blanket, as they say. In fact, he is the son of a first-rate butcher, but his mother was a decent family, okay, uh, called Hissops of the Glen. So you see, he is not so bad and is desirous of being the correct article. Could you rub him up a bit (laughs) in society ways? I don't know much details about him, but no doubt he will supply all you need. I am keeping well and hope you are. I must run up to the compartments one day and look you up. Yours as ever, your faithful friend, Bernard Clark. So apparently they have a long-standing friendship with no awareness of each other's history. Right. Fantastic. (laughs) I'm just going to leave this 17-year-old with you. (laughs) The Earl gave a slight cough and gazed at Mr. Saltina thoughtfully. Have you much money? he asked. And are you prepared to spend a good deal? (laughs) Oh, yes, quite, gasped Mr. Saltina. I have plenty in the bank and ten pounds in ready gold in my purse. You see, these compartments are the haunts of the aristocracy, said the Earl. And they are kept going by people who have got something funny in their family and who want to be less mere, if you can comprehend. Indeed, I can, said Mr. Saltina. Personally, I am a bit partial to mere people, said his lordship, but the point is that we charge a goodly sum for our training here. But, however, if you can't pay, you need not join. I can and will, proclaimed Miss Saltina, and he placed a ten-pound note on the desk. His lordship slipped it in his trouser pocket. It will be forty-two pounds before I have done with you, he said, but you can pay me here and there as convenient. Oh, thank you, cried Mr. Saltina. Not at all, said the Earl, and now to business. While here you will live in compartments in the basement known as Lower Range. You will get many hints from the groom of the chambers as to clothes and etiquette to menials. You will mix with me for grammar, and I might take you out hunting or shooting, sometimes to give you a few 
tips. Also, I have lots of ladies' parties, which you will attend occasionally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mr. Saltina's eyes flashed with excitement. I shall enjoy that, he cried. His lordship coughed loudly. <clears throat> you may not marry while under instruction, he said firmly. Oh, I shall not need to thank you, said Mr. Saltina. <laughs> you must also decide on a profession, said his lordship, as your instruction will vary according. Could I be anything at Buckingham Palace, said Mr. Saltina with flashing eyes. Oh, well, I don't quite know, said the noble earl. But you might perhaps gallop beside the royal barouche if you care to try. Oh, indeed I should, cried Mr. Saltina. I am very fond of fresh air and royalties. Well, said the earl with a knowing smile, I might arrange it with the Prince of Wales, who I am rather intimate with. Not really, gasped Mr. Saltina. Dear me, yes, remarked the Earl carelessly, and if we decide for you to gallop by the royal vehicle, you must be measured for some plush knickerbockers at once. Mr. Saltina glanced at his rather fat legs and sighed. <laughs> well, I must go now and call on a few dowagers, said his lordship, picking up his elegant top hat. Well, au revoir, he added with a good French accent. Adieu, my lord, cried Mr. Saltina, not to be outdone. We meet anon, I take it. Not till tomorrow, answered the earl. You will now proceed to the lower regions where you will no doubt find tea. <laughs> he nodded kindly and glided out in silence. Here I will end my chapter. All right. We're more than half done this book. Then we should just bracket it. I'm impressed at how fast this book moves along. Anyway, um, so yeah, that's that's the first half of The Young Visitors. Um, let us know what you think. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's pretty different from what we normally do. But it doesn't have to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really enjoy reading stuff, and it, it means yeah. I spend more time reading yeah. things aloud with you. I'm totally yeah. happy Yeah, and there's it. so much good stuff out there, and the, we'll never get around to reading it just ourselves, yeah. so I think. And obviously our listeners, too. I mean, life is short. And I ordered some more <laughs> memoirs for us to read out loud okay. as well, and hopefully these ones cool. will be a bit cheerier, so... What are you talking about? This is fantastic. I mean... I'm cheerier than the last memoir we made. Oh, I mean. right. Yeah. <laughs> and I also like how my mind immediately went, well, of course all this happened. So, like, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> um. So, yeah. Um. Do you want to take it to the shout-outs? Uh, yeah. Do you have someone? Um. I have one. Okay. Um, go for it. So, yeah. It's not that big a deal to whoever, but I, I got a tattoo this past Sunday. Um. There was a big snowstorm. And it just, it felt like the right time for whatever reason. And um, I want to shout out my tattoo artist, Alex K. He was super cool, super welcoming, especially for a first tattoo. And he was super patient with me. Um, you can find him on Instagram, Alex K. K is spelled K-E-H. And I think in real life he spells it with an apostrophe, but not on Instagram. So yeah, go check him out. He's super cool. And uh, he's at Saving Grace Tattoo in NTG. Let me play you out. All right, so yeah, we will see you next week. Yep, this has been I Don't Know What to Read You. And we've read you things. That's really not going to work. <laughs> we love you. Bye. Bye.